Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today is a really scorching hot freaking Sunday. And I am so blessed because our guest was willing to give me a call on a Sunday. He's having a little trouble with his cell tower. So if we have some crackling but his words are worth listening to, I'm going to leave it in anyway. And you're just going to stretch your ears a little harder. It's not like we haven't had sound problems before. All right, so I want to, before I get into what, what's going to unfold, I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show where we will have stories from the road, where I'll tell a story from my life or my work or, you know, from something I read, and close the show with a point, a lesson, and a reason for being, and probably answer a question unasked for or asked for. That has come up throughout the hour that we've been together, or the a little less than an hour. Okay, so um, I, as far as the okay, 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 great guest giveaway goes, our great guest is going to give away a copy of his book. So we don't need to have a separate guest for that. I'm really excited about this, actually. Who we're going to be talking to is Travis Breeding. Now, why I'm excited is actually bigger than I thought when I first asked him to do the show. So I asked him to do the show because I was watching a clip of him talking about dealing with schizophrenia and autism. And FYI, I see it a lot. I see the comorbidity of schizophrenia and autism a lot. Unfortunately, many of the people that I work with in the field, my colleagues, try to separate the two. And he was speaking out a little bit on that. So I, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're really blessed to have somebody who's willing and able to discuss that stuff with, with us. He's more than able, though. So he's also an author. Uh, he has autism and schizophrenia, and he enjoys educating people about both. And so I looked him up on Amazon, and I was like, holy freaking pro prolific or what? This man has written and written and written and written. And his books look incredible. There's no way that I could read them all. Um, we're going to focus on autism and schizophrenia today, but he's got many books. I'm going to hit some titles by you, making sense of my feelings as a teen with autism going through puberty, the reality of living within two worlds, the invisible friend, my mental illness, I am a child just like you, autism, I have desires too, my sexuality, employment, I mean, it goes on and on. He's just written and written, and I, I'm so excited to be able to talk to him. So, Travis, thank you so much for being here. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled. I, first of all, Wow, firstly, you have two disorders and you've written all that? That's amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's very important to, um, when you have autism and schizophrenia, uh, it's very important to find the right outlet where you can, uh, you know, support yourself and also help others. Um, finding a regular job, um, working at like a restaurant or something has been challenging for me, so I've turned to writing as kind of an outlet. Oh, and thank goodness that you chose that outlet, I mean, that's going to bless everybody who gets an opportunity to find out what it's like from your perspective. That's very exciting. I work with um, autism internationally, and I also adopted children that had autism, and I've seen symptomology for schizophrenia in two of my kids and then in many kids out in the world. And yeah, my son's behind me going, yeah, yeah. He says, Mona in the ceiling. <laughs> so <laughs> he has a girl, Mona, in the ceiling. So um, it's an interesting thing that I, I, I love the idea of us talking about. And what I've discovered is when we go um, and talk to any professionals like psychiatrists and that sort of thing, they either want to think in terms of schizophrenia, medicate that and treat it like the autism or Asperger's is irrelevant, or they want to just sort of ignore the hallucinations and whatnot and say, well, that's autism, he's just crazy. So talk to me a little about your journey and 
when you got the symptoms of schizophrenia and how confusing it's been or challenging it's been to get the right support. Right. Well, I'm um, looking back. It's been, I was uh, actually not even diagnosed with autism until I was 22. Um, and basically what led to that was I was very socially awkward and didn't know how to make friends or develop relationships. And I was going to counseling to try and get support with that. Um, and they, you know, I was diagnosed with bipolar, OCD, um, then autism. Uh, at the time, it was Asperger's syndrome, actually. So right. uh, we, all, we all know that that's been removed from the DSM-5. Well, with um, this much writing, we could probably call you hyperlexic as well. So, I mean, it it all becomes <laughs> irrelevant. It's just, you know, it's not like a disorder disappears because we don't name it in a diagnostic manual anymore. But, yes, right, it has been right. removed. Right. So I spent a lot of time trying to get help with social skills. Um, and thinking back now, I was starting to show some symptoms, I think, of having schizophrenia at that time. But I don't think that it was recognized because I was having so much trouble with the social skills. I think people just assumed it was a social disorder, was autism. Um, but then it wasn't until last year when I was 29 when I started having um, more intense hallucinations, um, delusions, voices, that I was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And um, so now I have autism and schizophrenia. And the interesting thing is to me is there are many similarities between the two, how the two disorders affect you socially. Um, obviously autism, not, know, not having social, good social skills, not knowing how to make those interactions, um, it pre presents a trouble within itself. But then if you can imagine having schizophrenia and having hallucinations, trying to focus on social skills and trying to learn that, um, that you can see how hallucinations would interfere with your social skills and your ability to connect with other people. Right, right. Um, so, okay, so let's back up a little bit. For you, when you were show so you're getting these other diagnoses, you're getting OCD and bipolar, which this is a common story. I have um, my son that I actually just had on the show last episode. He was that kid that got diagnosis after diagnosis after diagnosis until they finally said, wow, this is a, a bigger picture. Let's call it the spectrum. So, um when you were getting those diagnoses, were you also getting any kind of drug intervention or you were just getting behavioral interventions or what was happening that way? I was mainly, one issue is that I was already 22 at the point in time when I was um, diagnosed with autism. And at that point in time, unfortunately, I had aged out of the education system, you know. Um, right. So I wasn't actually getting any behavioral intervention at all because those services are only provided under, you know, the wa waivers or some kind of, you know, Medicaid thing. But um, So I wasn't getting any behavioral intervention. And I find that psychiatrists are very quick to turn to drug interventions. Um, so I was on all kinds of drugs. I've tried, I don't think there, I don't know if there's a drug that I could name that I haven't tried. All right, so tell me something, and this is, I know there's no way for you to really know, but you're the one looking at your history. Um, so just take a guess at this. Do you think that any of your symptoms, your hallucination symptoms, could be related to drugs that were given to you for your other symptoms? Absolutely. I 100% think so. Okay. Absolutely. I have noticed that, um, you know, with autism, for me, autism is not something that you need to treat with drugs. So, like for me with autism, I want to learn social skills, but there's no drug that teaches social skills. Um, so I personally would rather them work with me on social skills and give me drugs for autism. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and I, I really believe that even the medication I take now that the psychiatrist has prescribed has made my hallucinations worse and they're more, more serious, more intense. Uh, so what drugs are you on right now? I take 150 milligrams of Zoloft. I take 10 milligrams of Visoprone for anxiety, and then I take, um, let me think, I take 25 milligrams of Zyprexa, which is for voices and hallucinations, mm -hmm. um, and then I take, I forget how many milligrams of Risperdal, uh, Risperdome, whatever that is, mm -hmm. and then I take Wellbutrin um, as well. Wow. That's a lot of drugs. Okay, so... In what order did these come in? 
So Welbutrin is a stimulant for people that don't know. Risperdone is the only approved drug for autism. And you already identified the other two, I think. Okay, um, so what, you know, what order did they come in? Do you remember? Uh, I mean, Risperdone and Zoloft were first. And then um, I've, I've also tried Paxil. I forgot about that one. So, um, yeah. But you're not on it now. Let's just talk about the ones you're on now. So you've got the Risperdone and you've got the Zoloft. And so, then why did they continue to add meds? What was still happening? I was still having hallucinations and delusions. I was still reporting problems with social skills. Um, and they didn't think they didn't think that I was getting any better, so they just added more drugs. Right, because they have to do something, right? Okay, right. so well, well psychiatrists too. I mean that's what their job is, I guess. Okay. So do you get hallucinations when you're on your full complement of medication? Yes, I still have them pretty much daily. Are they different than they were when you didn't have the medication? Uh, they might be a little bit less less like hurtful. Like they might not always say a lot of times I hear voices before in the past that I need to hurt myself or voices that I need to punish myself because I'm autistic. Um I was hearing voices that everybody hated me because I had autism, um, things like that. So sometimes the voices on the medication might not be as severe. Like they don't try and get you to self-harm as much. So that's good. But I don't think it's a race to hallucinations completely. So have you got any hallucinations that are positive or supportive for you? No, I've never had any that are positive or supportive. Okay. And when, how old were you when you started to have the schizophrenic system symptoms? Yeah, looking back, I'm thinking that it was about 19 or 20 when I started ah, to have okay. So okay. it's good ten, ten or eleven years. Okay, so it was it was before they gave you the autism diagnosis, and they gave you the autism diagnosis before the schizophrenic one, and it was just a confusing picture for them, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, very confusing and for yourself, right? For, for them and me, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here you are right now today. You are definitely accomplished. You've written a ton of books. You've got a new one out that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so. Yeah, maybe you have a job that you don't think is fantastic, but let's, for a second, just take a deep breath and say, holy cow, you've accomplished most than, more than most people. You're, how old are you now? I just I turned 30 last March, so I'm 30. Okay, so, I mean, that's, that's impressive. That's really impressive. You've done a lot. So instead of just saying, you know, here are all my problems for a second, I just want to say to you, I am super, super, super impressed. And I think you should be too. So let's look at that. Let's look at all the things that you've got, all the gifts you've got from you. must be intelligent, clearly, or you wouldn't have been able to create these books. They look great, by the way. Um, Thank you. Yeah, your titles are fantastic, your covers are fantastic, the presentation on Amazon page is fantastic. I mean, it goes on and on and on here. So clearly you're intelligent. Um, the gifts of your very peculiar mind. Come on, name a couple. Uh, I'm very, when I have an interest in something, it tends to become a special interest. So I'm very good at... Um, like, I'm very good at a few things, like writing, for example. Writing is a special interest for me. So basically, I just write all day long. Um, and like you said, I'm pretty intelligent. Um, I do pretty well, and I'm, I also do some like website design, building, coding websites. Um, so I do some, you know, I have some things that I'm intensely interested in, like special interests. Um, we, we're familiar oftentimes with children with autism having special interests, like Thomas the Train or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, even as adults, you can have special interests. And I really want to encourage people with autism and, you know, people that are supporting people with autism. If you can look, as they become adults, if you can look for employment and something that's their, spe their special interest area, there's a good chance they'll be more successful in employment. Right, right. Absolutely. And it's so silly that we're always trying to pull people away from their special interests and get them to do something they're not at all interested in as a means of deciding that there, we fixed something, we changed them. It's just silly. How many books do you think you've written? Because you've got three full pages of books here. I'm going to have to count them while you're talking. <laughs> How many do you think? I've got at least 30 or 40. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
<laughs> like that is that is special. So you gotta say there's some advantage here to being you. I mean, wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am just in the process of learning how to um you know, learning how to market myself and learning how to meet new people and get connected in the community. Um I have had a little bit of difficulty. Um I've found like with uh autism nonprofit organizations connecting with them because they've tended to notice more of my mental illness issues. So they they have claimed that they are unable to help me because I have mental illness and that's probably causing more issues than the autism is. So so the autism associations won't help you because your special needs? Yeah, basically. That's kind of what I ran into. <laughs> I run it you know what I run into? And maybe you have too, so let's talk about this for a second. Let's see. I run into that um because of how my mind works, I won't sell just to sell. Like I won't create a truth and design something in a way that's just for marketing. I always want to say it in the way that I think is going to serve the people more. So I, I'm more inclined to give them what I think they need and what I want to share than what they necessarily want. So. Right. Yeah, so I'm not willing to uh, sell out my truth, basically, for in order to make money. So has this come up for you at all, or do you just, like, write it in whatever way you see is uh, saleable? Oh, no, that absolutely comes up for me. I would never, like, I don't sell anything just to sell it. My goal is to help people. Um, so, and I try and do that as much as I can. I, wanna, I mean, I feel like one of the advantages that I have is that I'm, for autism, I'm very high functioning. So I feel like one of the advantages I have is I'm able to communicate what living with it is like um, and able to share that with parents who have kids with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. feel it's very important. I just feel like if you have, it's kind of like you have a gift that I've experienced this and now I can share it with others to help them help their children. Right. Right. And then, okay, so okay, so you've had that problem. So how about this problem? Because you've got 30 books here, and you've got all these diagnoses and stuff. So another thing that's come up for me when I've tried to do things with different associations, um, the autism associations, as you refer to, um, is that they want you to be – they don't want you to be so much – on the spectrum and then successful, they sort of want you to be on the spectrum as a poster child that they can point to and say, oh, how sad, let's get money, instead of, um, oh, look what's possible, and let's make these people, uh, give them important places within our administration. So what are your thoughts on that? I completely agree. Um, And I've even ran into situations where, Autism associations, for example, are against people getting social skills coaching. Like, they don't want them to get better. They want them to be suffering. They want them to have trouble. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yes. Because, well, what it comes down to is the autism associations, they make their money based on people having autism and struggling. So that's how they raise money. And so if there are people with autism who are successful and all of a sudden don't need as much help and support that could put that autism association out of business. Right. I've even had them unplug my mic because I was saying supportive, positive things. They unplugged my mic while I was speaking and came up and said, don't, don't speak well of autism. It's a tragedy. I'm like, dude, right. are you That's serious? <laughs> like it was just horrible. Okay, so here's, a, here's, what about, here's another thing that I've come across. This is fun. I'm having fun. I hope you don't mind. We'll get into your story in a second. I have one more. So another thing I've come across is because the funding for families and schools, so this is parents and educators, because the funding is funneled according to challenge, I've said to parents, um, this neurofeedback that I do, it can raise the IQ 10 to 15 points. And I've said this again because it's infallibly true. Um, And I've said it with... um, also with educators. And what they'll do, and I've actually had these exact words come back to me. I, I'm going to quote somebody. Um, dear me, that means he will be too smart for the funding he's getting. Yeah, I don't think so. Yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, given the, the way the funding is distributed, 
and even the education system, they they tend to only be concerned with the academic skills, which usually most of the time people with autism are going to be doing just fine with academics. Um, it's the social stuff and the life skills where we really need the support. And I feel like the education system misses, misses that in some cases, you know. Yeah, no, I in almost all cases. So ABA is the most prominent um it's the most prominent therapy out there that's in the schools and stuff. And unfortunately, it actually sets a person up to not learn their social skills, but to learn to fake their social skills. You want and, to be a robot. Yes, you're yeah, a robot. Yeah. So, yeah, so I could totally, you know, get into explaining that, but I think we're going to get back over onto your story a little more in a second. I just want to say that the whole social skills training thing is missing almost everywhere. And so... That's all you really want to help somebody with that has autism is social skills and communication and repetition. That is the disorder, right? Yeah, and the thing that they don't understand is like that even when they're doing the ABA, they're trying to eliminate a behavior, but that, that behavior is caused because the person is missing a social skill. So whatever behavior it is, they're, they can try and take it away all they want to, but until they actually teach the person the desirable, the desirable social skill, that behavior is always going to be a problem because they're not getting a need met based off right. of not having the right social skill. Right. I'm actually going to take it a step deeper. The social skill is a problem because the person has a, has a um, processing issue in the brain. And so if we can help them with the social skill because the brain interacts with its environment and changes itself, then we can teach their brain to have a better processing system, in which case the social skill can be remedied. So you must go after the social skill to correct the brain, but probably the the issue originates from a processing problem in the first place. Okay, so let's get into you. What do you imagine you would be doing if you had a proper social program, and how do you perceive that as playing out in your life and improving your life? Well, I, I actually have had a little bit of experience with social skills coaching programs when I was in college. Um, I had some funding, financial aid money, and I used that to my advantage to get some social skills training. And I saw so many positive changes in my life, but I was actually learning the skills I needed. And I was starting to have more success with friendships and relationships. And I just, I really am a big fan of social skills training because it was really changing my life. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, now that I'm out of college, I don't have financial aid funding coming in. I'm not able to get as much social skills coaching. And I can tell that I'm regressing socially a little bit. So I try and work hard on practicing what I learned and remembering what I learned from those guys when I was in college. Um, but I can see if I had the right social skills program, I could see me being very successful in employment anywhere because social skills are very important even on the job. Um, and so I feel like I'd be more successful in all relationships and at work, employment. Um, I would have actually been able to finish college, I think, if I had the right social support program. And unfortunately, I for me, it seems like they're more interested in just providing enough treatment to keep me afloat. Yeah, they just don't want to provide enough support for me to solve my problems. They want to provide a little support to keep me afloat, but they don't want to provide enough support to actually help me fix my problems socially. Right. Okay. So in all fairness, um, it takes two seconds to write your prescription. It takes a lot longer to, to do social skills training, and there isn't the kind of funding that people want. So this is something we have to make happen. We have to make, uh, be loud and proud and, and, you know, and really push the right buttons. And it's still probably not going to happen in our lifetime to get the kind of social uh, remedies that needs to happen for all of our population. But when you talk about, because I think a lot of parents are listening to you, but they hear the word social skills and, and this happens everywhere. The word social skills is a huge umbrella term. What do you mean? Give me one learning you got from those college tutorials that really helped you. Well, the, the best thing for me, and it's kind of funny, because when I first met them, I was really struggling with, I was like 20, 23, 24, 25. I'd never had a girlfriend, so I was very obsessed with, like, understanding how to date and how to get a girlfriend. And I wanted them to teach me. The first thing I wanted them to do was teach me how to go up and talk to girls. Um, 
and they were they told me that they were not going to do that yet because I needed to practice talking to regular other people and just people in general. And so they the best thing for me was they sent me we were at this bookstore and they wanted me to go ask random people for their opinions on cooking books um, and see which kind of book I should get. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to observe my body language, my nonverbal communication, my uh, facial expression, because actually you'll find out that most most communication is nonverbal. Like I think it's like research says, ninety three percent of communication is nonverbal. I think 7%. it's in the high eighties, but it's definitely high. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's um that was a lot of my issues was the nonverbal communication. So once I learned how to give people space, not crowd their space, um, I learned how to read their body language, and I learned how to position myself and make my body language better. I started to have better results in social situations. So it wasn't necessarily my problem. wasn't necessarily what I was saying verbally. It's my problem was what I was saying nonverbally that was turning people off, and making okay, them not I- want. I love this example. I love it so much, Travis. This is one of the things that I teach the most often. You know, I'm constantly saying, you know, if you walk away after saying hello to me while I'm still talking, I think you're rejecting me. Or I think you're like, I'm always, I call it processing out loud so that the other person knows how we're perceiving their behavior. Um, You know, and I remember with my, one of my sons, he would just, he'd want something at the store and he would, regardless of the entire lineup of people, he'd want it. So he'd just sort of bust up to the counter to ask a question and he'd start with a question and not say their name first or not say, excuse me first or something. And it took me a long time to help him understand, no, no, when you say, excuse me, that gives them a knowledge that you're about to talk. So they turn their attention attention and their ears to you. They haven't heard half of what you said. And so my point being, it was all about he he knew what he wanted. He knew the words to say, all of that, but he didn't know how to present himself in a way to be listened to. Exactly. So what happens is people aren't necessarily, they're not getting everything of what you're saying. They're only getting parts of what you're saying. Right. Exactly, exactly. Okay, just let me tell everybody, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about you and your book. You are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today we are talking with a wonderfully prolific writer who has more books than, I don't know, God. (laughs) Anyways, he's written so many. I think he said it was 30 books. So we are listening to Travis Breeding, author, speaker, schizophrenic autism individual, a little of this, a little of that, and we're finding out what it's like and just sort of trying to, you know, make your way in the world with autism and schizophrenia and all these different diagnoses and trying to be a success while the rest of the world saying, could you please not be a success? We're trying to get money based on you. And so now we're going to move into a little bit more information, but before I do that, I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show where we will have... And I'll give you a story if I haven't already, because we're just telling stories today. Um, but I'll give you a story that wraps it all up. All right, Travis, welcome back to the show. Not that you went anywhere, but you were nicely quiet while I talked. Um, okay, so you, here you are. You've written all these books. You've struggled to get better social training. Have you found anything outside of, you know, the college? I know you've left college now, so have you found anything, or are you still searching? I'm actually still searching. Um Actually, it's kind of funny. It's not necessarily that I am searching because I have found programs that are helpful. The unfortunate thing for me is um, having my own, having the funding to pay for those programs has been difficult. Um, and when I get, every time I bring up an idea of something I want to try to my doctor, um, insurance, Medicaid tells me it's not medically necessary, so they're not going to pay for it. Um, so I, I, I've found lots of programs out there. It's just I'm trying to get creative. I need to try and get creative on ways to get funding to access those programs. Well, what about um, what about creating it yourself? What about creating like a meetup or something where you you know so socially awkward meet up and help each other, some sort of thing like that? And Absolutely. Those yeah, those are all good ideas. 
something I'm exploring at this time. And then also, you know, I know a lot of people that are as gifted as you that um, have been really helped by stuff like Toastmasters because Toastmasters will break down. Sure, it's about the presentation, but you can take that knowledge of how to work a presentation and apply it to your everyday life. Yeah, actually, I love Toastmasters. They do a really good job. So I actually go to local meetings. Awesome. Okay, so you're already doing those kinds of things. Here's another one that I did that really was what taught me social skills. Believe it or not, it was stand-up comedy. So, okay. yeah, I did stand-up comedy, and I, I was fantastically funny on my first two shows, and then I was horrendous for, like, six months, and everybody would just look away embarrassed and wish I would get off stage. And and it was so confusing to me because it was the exact same material that had made other people laugh. And so... Just learning that the same thing in different ways at different times and different, like the relationship between the person before me, what they said, or that particular audience, or how loud I said it, or there was so much to learn. I gained so much from that. Have you ever thought about taking a class in improv or stand up? You know, I've actually never thought about that. That that would be actually kind of fun, though. I might have to look into that. It was so instrumental in teaching me. It was fantastic. So there's a couple of ideas, because I don't think you're going to find what you're looking for. I think you're going to have to make it like a patchwork quilt out of what's available for other people and just get them to accept you into their group. Right. Absolutely. Those are all good ideas, very supportive ideas. Oh, and the best part about stand-up was when I went there, everybody else was crazy too. That's even better, because that makes it more fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's more comfortable, right? So all the comedians were a little bit weird. And so I'm like, oh, I found my people. I'm so comfortable here. Right? So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was marvelous. Okay, so there's an idea I'm just throwing you away. So let's talk about your book, your present one, and what you're hoping it will do. And maybe you can give some advice to people that are coping with children that are showing signs of schizophrenia and are diagnosed with autism. Yeah, um, basically my newest book is about kind of more of a, actually I have, I call it like a revamp of my autobiography. Um, I actually have, my first autobiography came out in 2010 about autism. Um, but now I decided to redo it since I have a different diagnosis and kind of tie that into it a little more. Mm-hmm. So it's called Schizophrenia Voices of Self-Destruction. And it just talks a little bit about my first-hand experiences with getting diagnosed, um, understanding the difference, differences and similarities between autism and schizophrenia. Um, it talks about, I explain, I do try to explain my hallucinations and delusions um, so people can understand what I'm thinking for. And, and a lot of times, for me, it seems like my brain, in my brain, it's kind of like there's a video game playing in my brain. But other people don't see that. Other people don't hear that. They don't experience that. So like, sometimes people think I'm crazy because I'm talking about things that are going on, but they're not experiencing it. Um, so the book is about that, and the book talks a lot about my first psychotic break, my psychotic episode, basically where I was seeing this imaginary doctor that other people didn't know of, and he was telling me that I had cancer, and he taught me how to remove my thyroid. So long story short, I ended up actually trying to cut my thyroid out of my own body and removing my thyroid because I believed I had cancer. Um, it was just just so big ordeal. That went on Did they and on. assume you were trying to slit your throat? Yes, yes, they assumed that. Yep. So, but I tried to explain to them that I was trying to cut my thyroid out um, and explain to them why, and that's what really led to me being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Okay, so is that really detailed in the book? Psychosis, Losing My Mind Through Dr. Stankowski, book one. Is that what that's about? Yes, that's exactly what that book is about. All right. So you, at that time, when you started to hear him and have him guide you through that, did you have any awareness that he was a hallucination? Like, did you feel like you were getting the pipeline from God, or did you think he was real? No, I thought he was real, very real. Actually, I ended up spending the night in... What I thought in my brain it was a hospital, but it was really a park. I stayed on a park bench, and that was the hospital. So I spent a night in the park bench thinking I was in the hospital. Wow. Yeah, it was very, very overwhelming. Okay, and so then, then my, 
So then let's be realistic here. If you if your hallucinations were that intense and took you out of reality to that degree, are you not in a better place with the meds you're on now? I feel like I'm in a little bit better place. Um, I haven't had any major episodes like that. Um, my main issue right now is with hearing voices that telling me that I need to self-harm or hunt, like cut my wrist. That's my main issue right now. But do you know that they're um, that they're voices and hallucinations as opposed to back then when you didn't know? Uh, yes, and that's I think one of the biggest differences is when I'm on the medication, I can kind of tell that they're not real. Um, so it helps me decipher reality from make believe. Right. I remember. Um, did you see the beautiful mind? Yes, I did. Remember the scene where he's gone off the meds and he's now teaching it's close to the end and when a guy comes up to offer him an award he says to one of the students okay do you see this guy too <laughs> yep. do you remember yep. that Absolutely. I re- yeah I remember that so strongly because that's one of the things that I've often with some of the schizophrenic clients I work with or even with my son I'd say well ask if anyone else sees it because remember the movie right? and it actually yeah. has played out well is that something you could use yourself or have used I have, yes. Actually, I have a really close friend, so whenever I feel like something is crazy, I tend to, like, run it by her to make sure if it's real. Oh, you're lucky. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And what's happened with your family? Tell me about your family. Yeah, um, I, I'm actually living at home right now with my parents. Um, I have a 18-year-old sister. She's quite a bit younger. But they've been really supportive, and they're kind, they try and understand. Um, they're trying to help me. You know, trying to help me through this. Um, one thing that I think is important is accepting that it's going to be a lifelong journey. Um, it's important to stay on medication, I think, somewhat, because um, I have been more stable on the medication, and I tend to be crazy unstable when I'm not on it, although I feel like there's a lot of severe side effects to the medications. Like what? Uh, like I have trembles or like I have a little tick and stuff like that. Right, right. So, have you tried you know, neurofeedback? That's the one I use for it. I have not. I don't know a whole lot about that, honestly. So. Yeah, you might want to look that up or at least go to my website or something. Just just check into it. It can be really remarkable. Um, okay, so so at least you're somewhat stable. You've got a supportive network in your family. This is really awesome. You're writing great books. How about self-care? Because I know with schizophrenia, often that's a big deal. Yeah, I struggle with that somewhat. Um, it's very hard for me to, and it's not that I don't know how to do it, it's finding the motivation to it. Um, I feel like that's one of the bigger issues is getting motivated, especially when you're, like with schizophrenia, there are positive symptoms and negative symptoms. Right. Um, and even when you're not, even when I'm not experiencing psychosis, I still have the cognitive issues with being frustrated, being depressed, um, right, having right. negative symptoms, you know. And well, um, and and you're right. Your your medication is going to have side effects, and it's going to interrupt your dopamine to prevent some of the, you know, severity of the hallucinations. But it's also when you don't have enough dopamine, you don't have enough motivation, and when you have too much, then you you again don't have it. Like everything's about balance, and. Yeah. Um, it's a challenge, but maybe you could remind yourself that when it comes to self-care, that's a social skill. Absolutely. Um, that's Life maybe one way to, to to keep yourself on top of it, you know? Yep, I do pretty well. I mean, I'm, I I shower every day and take care of myself, so. Oh, you're I, ahead of me then. I shower every <laughs> second day. <laughs> right, right. So. All right. So when you think of what you want to, first of all, you're going to offer up a book, right? Yes. All right, and I can just have them email me. So if you want a copy of Travis's book, he's got many, but we're not talking about every book. We're just you can't have a copy of all his books, but you can have the copy uh, a copy of the one that's out now. And it's actually not on your Amazon list here. Is it brand new? Uh, yes, it just came out. Okay, what's the title? Uh, Schizophrenia: Voices of Self Destruction. All right, so Schizophrenia, Voices of Self-Destruction. You can have a copy of his book if you're the first person to email me with autism and schizophrenia, and you don't have to spell it correctly, in the subject line, um, mom4, number four, evermore, at Juno, J-U-N-O, not Gmail. So that's momforevermore at Juno.com, and you put 
autism and schizophrenia in the subject line. If you're the first person, I will um, I will forward that to Travis, and you can get a copy of his book. And he'll send it to you digitally, although I'm going to try and talk him into mailing me an actual physical copy. Um, okay, so... Good, please. I'd love I'd love to read your writing. I can't read all 30. I'm in the middle of a PhD, but I will definitely Great. read one. Great. So, so Travis, when you think in terms of giving advice, because we're almost at the end of the show, so when you think okay. in terms of what you can share with the rest of the world that would really have made an enormous difference for you had it gone that way, what is it? Uh, life skills and social skills interventions. Um, having early intervention is everything, in my opinion. And the earlier you start helping someone with autism, the better. Um, even, you know, schizophrenia obviously doesn't onset until later in life usually. But early intervention, social skills treatments, life skills treatments, um, basically that, that to me, stuff, the stuff that caused me the most trouble was the social skills and the life skills, not knowing how to relate to other people. Um, and that is what, that's what people have to understand. Those are things that cause the symptoms of like depression and anxiety. Oh yeah. And it just so, turns into a negative feedback loop, right? One stressor on another stressor on another stressor, right? Absolutely. So you can have your 10 year old autistic child in therapy, like in talk therapy, you can have them taking medications, but if they're not getting life skills interventions, it's not going to do any good because they're going to end up being depressed later or socially isolated and, you know, have a lot of anxiety. I really appreciate that that you've come on the show and that you've really presented that because my experience is there's so many people trying to feel good about the work they're doing with uh, spectrum kids and special needs kids of all kinds, and they're pointing to the benefits or the scores or the grades or the achievements that are academic instead of pointing to the ability to live amongst humans. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And it's just... It's so important to be able to relate to other people. Humans are we're created, we're formed to connect with other people. That's what we need to do. So it's important to take people who have issues with social skills and help them. Well, you seem to be amazing to me. I mean, you're easy to have a conversation with. You're very, um, you're prolific as a writer. You have great opinions and things to share. I think really. I just think you're awesome. Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, you're welcome, and maybe you're the one that should be teaching the social skills. Um, That's my last thought for you is that, you know, I've learned more from teaching than I ever did from being a student. Right. And you're quite amazing. So I know that you pulled yourself together to do a show, as people do, as I do as well. But um, I think if you maybe think, you know, consider teaching social skills, you'd be amazed how much you already know. You're very, very gifted. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. You take care. And I'm going to close the show now, but thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you. Wow. That was Travis breeding. He's got autism and schizophrenia and he sounds amazing. So look at the sky is the limit for your kids. He got diagnosed with everything and he's still amazing. So just don't look at, you know, raising a child is tough. It's tough. You know, they want to poo and pee in the wrong places and they say the wrong things and they don't sleep when they should. And, and we're tired and we're trying to pay bills and we have hopes and dreams and, and it's tough. But just keep it going. Just keep loving and changing and teaching and resting. And, you know, it it goes by so fast. And it all works out okay if you don't sell your soul to trying to get the system to take care of your child. Just got to roll up your sleeves and do it yourself. And then avail yourself of the experts as you go. But keep your eyes loves in mind. I say that because Travis was talking about having a special interest. And I, I know I talk about it all the time on the show, but your special interest is your gift. It's the thing that you can use to connect with your child or if you're the person the individual with autism listening to connect with yourself. It's the thing that you use to get ahead in life, to feel satisfied in life. It's your motivator. Don't don't worry about 
what everyone else thinks of your special skill. Just find a way to make it pay the bills. That's the important thing. All right. So it is, you know, we had our great guest giveaway with Travis. So now it's time for Stories from the Road. Um, okay. I'm going to tell you a story, a recent story, actually. So there's a young man that I'm working with, and he has schizophrenia. And... Uh, they thought maybe autism as well, but they didn't really know because the schizophrenia was so extreme that that became the diagnosis. And he was pretty deep inside the schizophrenia before I met him, highly medicated and not living at home. Young man. And, uh, you know, in his pre, pre-teen years. And um, I'm trying not to identify him because this is a matter of confidentiality. So if I talk vague, that's why. Um, but anyway, so he's a lovely, just absolutely adorable, and um, and has all kinds of characters in his head, and, and you know, he just goes on and on about all the characters in his head and the things they do and why he'd like me to get rid of them, and he has too much imagination, and and he goes on and on and on, and he explains it and he shares it, and it's only awful when he's left to deal with it himself. When you engage him and talk to him about it and, you know, work with him on it and create games and play with it, it's actually really wonderful. And it's amazing. And he is an artist. The things that he can draw, it's shocking. It's just, you're, yeah, I mean, I wish I had this talent. So here's this gorgeous child, and I just adore his company. Uh, but he has these horrible hallucinations, and I say horribly because they are horrible for him when nobody's engaging him, and he's half, having the hallucinations. They take him deeper and deeper inside his head and inside the reality that they present. And so he's not living at home. He's living in a group situation, and they're giving him all kinds of meds. And every time uh, he does better then, you know, it's sort of like a stair step, the hallucination improvement, and then there's sort of an inward focus, and then we improve the inward focus, and then there's a hallucination change. And so I came into the picture, and I just adored everything about him, and I put in neurofeedback, and a lot of benefits started to happen, and he was so connected, and everybody where he was living was like, wow, this is awesome, and I think he can go to this other school, and we were all like, yay, this is going great. But then when he went to see his doctor, the doctor just happened to see him at a time when he was really talking to his voices. Now, in the chart of how he'd been doing, he hadn't been doing that. It had been just the opposite. He'd been interactive and social and good mood, all these things. So instead of looking at the documentation that said this is sort of a one-off moment that you're in or maybe it's the effect of you doctor because (laughs) the way you talk to him whatever instead of looking at that and listening to the people living with him and reporting about him the doctor just saw the moment in time and raised his meds and the minute he raised the meds then we had a, um, a whole new problem so we get a whole new problem then we add the neurofeedback to compensate for that problem and then he's doing better and then um he goes back to um you know be with all the other people and somebody was mean to him and that caused a trauma and so he had a bad moment in time and so the doctor raised his meds again and so what's happening is there's this stair stepping of the medication going instead of a reduction, there's an increase happening at a time when there should be a reduction. And I'm telling you this story because what you have to understand with your child, whether it's a child with all these multiple comorbid, it's not a horrible word, comorbid, it sounds like morbid. That means, you know, different diagnoses all in the same spot. (laughs) So, um, you know, if they have many diagnoses, OCD, bipolar, schizophrenia, autism, you you really, 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 really need to be the expert for your child. You can't just let the people who see them only in a sliver of time make decisions about them. And you don't want to be the person who only sees them in a sliver of time, who gives them away to all the professionals over and over and over again, and then just gets them back for a few hours every night and goes, I don't know what's going on, because that's overwhelming. And that makes it impossible for you to help your child. You want your eyes 
on your child a lot. So when you're looking for services, remember if you use too many services, you actually won't know what's happening to your child. You won't know what's happening with your child. You won't know what's happening that they respond to. You won't know your child. So be very careful and very selective. All professions have a benefit to offer you if it fits, but life's about balance. So make sure that when somebody offers more medication, you agree with that. And you say, yes, he's been needing it. You know, very often people misunderstand me and they think that I don't believe in medicine. And actually I do. You know, my my grandson recently hurt his hand and he had to get antibiotics. And if he hadn't had the antibiotics, his hand would have stopped working for him because the cellulitis hit his hand so fast. Medicine matters. Doctors matter. It's a complementary world if we treat each other that way. But please, please, please. Spend time with your child. Don't just give them away to the services because you don't know what to do. Spend time with your child, learn what to do, and be the boss. It's the only road to success. Okay? So my story is neurofeedback works really well, but then the doctor misinterpreted that and added more meds. And then I had to compensate for that, and then he added more meds, and then I had to compensate, right? So we wanted to go in the other direction, and the only way that will happen is if everybody in the team speaks up and gets clear. So that's what I'm working on now. I'll report on that another day. Hopefully we can get that team all talking together in the right way so this poor boy doesn't end up so medicated that he ends up with Parkinson's symptoms because that's what happens when, um, and that's what Travis was referring to, when you're taking meds for schizophrenia, you often end up with the tremors and the behavior and the feelings of uh, Parkinson's because it's interrupting the dopamine. And that's what Parkinson's is, not enough dopamine. So it's all, you know, one thing leaning on another. It's really important to pay attention so that your child doesn't just trade diseases. All right. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today, Stories from the Road was sort of like a soapbox. Thank you for listening, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Question of the day, should we use drugs? Answer, yes, sometimes. Not always. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, a real-life guide to autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.